Son, the light of the world. And with him came hope. He wasn't like the others. He thrived in the darkness. In fact, he had a way of turning it into light wherever he went. With his words, he made darkness and death run and hide. But darkness was crafty, and he found a loophole. He tricked people into doing his dirty work for him, and they turned on Jesus. They extinguished the only light that could drive out the darkness. Confused and misled, the people falsely sentenced Jesus to the most gruesome execution of all, death on the cross. The moment he was crucified, in the middle of the day, darkness fell over the earth. For three hours, the sun went into hiding. It was like darkness was celebrating, no longer afraid of light. It is finished. Jesus said with his dying breath, his work here was done. The light was gone. Death's perfect record claimed the life of the only perfect person to ever live, and hope died with him. The sun was supposed to outshine the darkness. He was the one who was supposed to change everything, and death claimed his life. But on the third day, everything changed. Light emerged from the tomb. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and with that, darkness took a hit. The giver of life had come back to life, and with him, he brought hope. He gave to us a way out of the darkness. He took back the power over death. He made a way for us to come back to the Father. Jesus brought death to death and gave life to life. And that is why we have a Green Pines Baptist Church. The fact of the matter was, in 1970, people here died, and there was a group that wanted to do something about it, and they started a church, following the command of Jesus Christ, because Jesus gives life over death. I want to share a little bit about uh, the first pastor. I've often been curious about this man. His name was James Pulley, the first pastor here. Uh, this is, much of this was uh, provided by Miss uh, Nell Cousins, who died not too long ago. Mr. Burl still with us in our church. Uh, she was the historian. And she writes that Green Pines Baptist Church was begun because uh, one man had a vision. It was a vision of love and concern for people in this community. That man, along with 117 charter members, who through the grace of God saw their vision become a reality. James Pulley was a retired army chaplain and lived on Green Street, envisioned a church in this community. Because of his love, concern, and most of all his dedication to God Almighty, Green Pines Baptist Church was born. James was born in Raleigh, November 22, 1924 and attended Atlantic Christian College. He graduated from what is now known as Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. On June 26, 1948, he united in marriage to Rosa Hall. Rosa and James have four children, Greg, Marsha, Kim, and Terry. Having started a military career at the age of 18, he served in many of the states uh, in Vietnam. During his time in the Army, he served as chaplain for many years and was medically retired in 1970, which is when he came here. Having been called by God to the ministry, James continued in his ministry serving pastorates at White Oak Baptist Church in Johnston County and Sharon Baptist Church in Smithfield. He faithfully served as pastor of Green Pines from its inception until July 1971, when ill health prevented him from continuing his active role. During his tenure at Green Pines, James consistently refused to accept a salary 
for his service. On April 19, 1970, at 11 a.m., the first worship service was held at Nightdale Elementary School with approximately 70 people in attendance with the new church receiving 11 new members. The Sunday school was organized into five classes with a membership of 61. Total contributions was $166.73. Miss um, Rosa Pulley is uh, still alive, uh, though she is suffering uh, with dementia. And one of our members was able to interview her and talk with her, uh, as well as one of her daughters. Uh, and uh, she was, uh, Miss Rosa was sharing some of the, the early life and of what she remembers. Uh, and it's talking about him being an Army Reserve, but what he really wanted to be was to be a pastor. Uh, and so uh, that was one of the things that he was passionate about. When asked what his passions were, he said his uh, family first, preaching, and then flying helicopters and airplanes uh, were some of his passions. Uh, didn't realize this, but when he left White Oak, he went back into the military after leaving White Oak Baptist Church, uh, then got sick while in the military and was discharged, and that's when he came back to Nightdale. His lifelong dream was to start a church, and that was here at Green Pines Baptist where that happened. And the first meetings were at the Daniels Old Store. There's a, a, a few of you that uh, were there at that uh, old store, Daniels Old Store in the corner of Hodge and uh, 64. Uh, and that's where it started right there. And they met at Old Knight High School uh, and preached until uh, his death or until his health failed. Passed away in 1986 at the age of 62. Um, and so this is just a few bits of information. And I'm just uh, wondering what he would have thought if he could see this area today, if he could see this church today. Serving in Vietnam and realizing now that we have Vietnamese people Living here in Nightdale, which really, since I started, I didn't really see them uh, 10 years ago. And so it's interesting how the community has changed uh, through those years. Uh, but you know, I mentioned at the very beginning, the reason we started a church simply was that people were dying. That's the reason a church has ever started. That's the reason Jesus instituted a church was because we live in a world where there's death. And Jesus has provided a way to overcome death. And I want to talk about dying here. We've talked about heaven. We've talked about hell. Uh, now we want to talk about dying. And it's closely tied to who we are as a church. And I don't know if you realize that, but being a Christian means you talk about death. Uh, you don't shirk away from it. You don't avoid it. It's a part of the essence of our doctrine, of what we believe and our hope even. Uh, and so I want to make sure we understand that as, as a church, why we exist. Before we do so, I want to ask that we pray. And here's one of the things I, I want to pray for. Uh, I love just hearing about the, the history of uh, James Pooley and his role in wanting to start a church uh, here in this area. This community needed it. still needs a church, doesn't it? And this community needs more churches. And I, I just want us to pray Maybe that God would bless this church, knowing to continue to reach Nightdale. Perhaps maybe God will call out other James Pulleys from this church. Before I ever came to this church, in God's providence, he allowed me to meet a minister in the Smithfield area. And he shared with me how he came to know Jesus as a Savior and how he was called to be a pastor in Green Pines Baptist Church. And it was there where I did a revival at his church before I came here that one of the search committee members came uh, and, and heard me there at that revival. And it wasn't too long ago or long after I came here, he passed away. And I did his funeral. And I just think about that, how God has in different times raised up messengers from this church, whether to go across the world or to go to other towns nearby. Why don't we pray as a church? Let's ask God, would he be so faithful, would he be so gracious to call out from our, our body other messengers, other preachers, other missionaries to go 
and continue the work because people are still dying. Would you pray with me about that? Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer now. One of the, um, I guess, sacred moments of pastoring is to be able to be with people uh, as they're coming close to death. I'll never forget about um, Mr. Leonard Gerald. Miss Nancy's here with us today. Mr. Leonard was also a minister, a Sunday school teacher here at the Fidelis Sunday School class for many years. And he also, uh, like Miss Rosa, suffered from memory loss, Alzheimer's. And it just so happened that uh, I was one of the last to see him uh, and talk with him. And I remember just being in the hallway with him in his room and uh, reading scriptures and just uh, sharing with him some of what I had read earlier that morning. And just the, the knowledge uh, from all of the physical signs that his life was very short. And to be able to encourage him and to say, you know, from everything I've read in Scripture, uh, you're headed to God's throne of grace. I'm headed back to my car. I'm headed back to my home. But you're headed to God's throne. And it was less than 24 hours later, really the next uh, night, that night, that I got word that Mr. Leonard had indeed passed on. And just to be able to be with someone, when you're there with them, and they are fading out, and they're losing conscious of people around them, and they're starting to zone in. To be there in that moment with them and to realize they are zoning out from me and they're zoning out from this world around them, but they're zoning in into something greater. It is a sacred moment to be there. And as we look and you know, have our, our, our anniversary, our homecoming, there's this, this time where we recount those who passed on before us and that can be an extremely poignant moment of remembering who used to be sitting here and realizing they're not sitting here. And reading and studying through this subject, I, I've been greatly encouraged though. And I just want to share with you some of the scriptures uh, that encourages me, that hopefully will encourage you, that uh, as we are worshiping together, uh, it is in not in isolation, but there is a heavenly witness that is a part of this. And so I want to talk to you about the truth about dying. We've talked about uh, hell, the lake of fire. We've talked about uh, heaven, uh, the final state. Uh, but then there's this, I, this idea about what happens when someone dies. Their, their heart stops beating. And, and Pastor, you've talked about the final state, but what about from this point on? to the final state. We, it's often called the intermediate state. Uh, what can you tell me about that? And so, um, I want to direct you to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, and use this kind of as a, a basis for what to hope in, what to look toward, uh, to order the longings of a believer. Uh, to order the longings of a believer when it comes to dying. Uh, and so this is the testimony of Paul himself, uh, as he is thinking of this moment. And so I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, which I would just encourage you that the verses prior to this are mightily encouraging. Um, in fact, I've, let me just go ahead and start verse 16. That's a good one. Chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, this is a metaphor here, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, 
We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You may be seated. So as we think about death, I want to talk about the order of longings for a Christian. Uh, And Paul is is kind of describing the order of longings for himself personally that I think is uh, applicable to us today. uh, As he talks about this earthly home or this tent referring to our body and so when you see the tent the earthly home he's referring to our bodies that is gradually wasting away and that one day we will be done away with Uh, and so when he talks about the first order of a believer uh, he describes that right from the beginning Uh, when he's in chapter 5 verse 2 he says for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling or heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting on we may not be found naked and so what he's talking about here is what i described in the uh end state of heaven in which the bible describes in revelation 22 and 21 a day when believers will have a body resurrected a eternal heavenly body to in, uh, experience the heavenly realities And so this is the final state of the believer. It is the end goal. It is the final longing, the ultimate longing for every Christian. I remember talking to my granddad and grandma before they passed away. And they they had a moment we were just sitting and they were just kind of had this little sermon here for me of just, let me share with you my my longings. He said, uh, you know, I long for first that the Lord would come back. That is what it is. I long to see the Lord come back where my body will be translated, where I'll be given a new heavenly body. In fact, I don't really want to experience death, son. And I can understand that. Uh, and so a lot of times we start thinking as Christians, uh, like, well, you know, we're not to be afraid of death, and we're not to be afraid of death. But there is still a very natural hatred disdain for physical death. And that is not in any way exempted because we're Christians. The ultimate longing is what Paul is describing here, that we're groaning, we're yearning for this heavenly body that will be, uh, all our stimulus and our our, uh, senses will be fully realized and satisfied in this heavenly state is what we described uh, in previous weeks looking at heaven. And so that's why he says in verse 2, in this body we groan. Uh, and you notice from chapter 4, verse 16, our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed bay, day by day. And so here's how I like to think about it, and it helps me this, this way. Uh, I've, uh, I'm 41 now, and uh, it's interesting talking to people of my generation uh, who are this age, and I'm kind of kidding them a little bit because we're, we're really wasting now. It's kind of like, you know, that over the hill bit, it's not a joke. It really does speed up the wasting away. I was kidding Matt Smith. Uh, Many of you remember Matt Smith. And, uh, you know, he he just about died. I mean, his wife had to do CPR on him uh, to to bring him back. And uh, (laughs) and we were, Matt and I, you have to know, we can joke about things like this. But, uh, you know, he, he didn't do anything. Uh, to have all this pain, and I said, well, Matt, you're at the age, you just, just turned 41, all you got to do is sleep and sneeze, and your body just shuts down, you know, uh, and, and so this is kind of the, 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 the deal we're at now, and so 
When you wake up sore and you got gray hair and you're losing hair and your skin's lost its elasticity, you know, uh, and your, your heart, your organs aren't working, I, I believe that this is an expression of what we see right here in chapter 4, verse 16. Our outer self is wasting away. All right? That's what's going on. We're born that way. We can, we can do surgery, we can do all we can try to do, but we're wasting away, it's happening. Uh, it's, it's, it's like gravity, all right? So here's the encouragement, though. It is a way for my body to tell my spirit, tell my mind, there's something else. There's something else that though this, this creaks, my knee's swollen because the weather's not quite right, you know, and, and because these things happen, it's letting me know that my inner self needs to be renewed by the Spirit. I remember reading in Proverbs and thinking, you know, uh, the, the glory of a young man is a strength and uh, the glory of an old man is his gray hair. And I think, well, man, what, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and your wisdom. I thought, well, what does it mean when you lose your strength and you don't have any wisdom? That's just terrible, you know? Uh, and so what does this mean, that my body's wasting away? That means I need to have my spirit renewed by the Holy Spirit. That there is a, a growing desire for the things of heaven, for the things of Christ. And so let, for those of you who wake up every morning uh, with Advil uh, as your breakfast, uh, you know, that is a reminder to us, let my spirit be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so my outer self is wasting away. My inner self is being renewed. It's groaning. I'm longing for a heavenly body. So this is the ultimate uh, order for the believer. The ultimate desire. I long to be with Christ with a new body. But then there's this second desire. And you can, you can have to w- read carefully to see Paul bringing this up. Uh, so verse 4, while we're still in this tent, we groan being yearning, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further, un- further clothed. So this unclothed aspect is a, a spirit without a body. All right? A spirit without a body. Now when God made us in Genesis, the Bible says that he breathed into us and a spirit was brought into us. And so you need to understand that God's desire for you, his ultimate desire for you is to have a spirit with a body. Your body matters. Uh, That's the thing about the Christian teaching is that the body isn't just a secondary thing. God made it. And he made your spirit to indwell a body. And so you need to think carefully about what you do with this body. It belongs to the Lord. He's given it to you for a little while. Uh, And so that is God's design for us. So for this, this state, this intermediate state of having a spirit without a body is not ideal. And so... He's saying, this is not what I would rather have. But we instead be further clothed, or the word is kind of super clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So he's talking about a whole new realm of living, of being, of an eternal state. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Verse 6, so we are always a good courage. Now he's talking about, he's about to talk the the secondary desire. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. What does that mean? Well, while my spirit is in this earth, I am separated from God's presence in the heavenly realm. So, we walk by faith, not by sight. I can't see God's presence. I can't see his glory. So in these days, I'm walking by faith. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So now he's identifying the second desire. My first desire is that I have a resurrected body, that I'm in the heavenly state with God, that God comes back and brings me to him. My second desire is that I be away from the body but at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And so what he's bringing out here is what happens when we die, okay? What, hap- what happens to our spirit when we die? Well, the, what Paul believes here is that the spirit is in the presence of the Lord at the time when your body is no more, when your heart stops beating. So let me bring some more scripture to this uh, uh, to help us understand a little bit more what we're talking about here. 
Uh, if we go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, John is, is getting this glimpse of heaven, and there's this time period uh, that he sees those who have died in the Lord, and they're before God's throne, but it's not yet uh, the final uh, state of mankind. It's not yet Revelation 21 and 22, where bodies have been resurrected. It's still just Revelation 6, 9. Uh, where there's just these spiritual beings before the Father. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had, been, they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you would judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who are to be killed as they themselves had been. Interesting. So this is a glimpse of people who have been killed. They are not yet have a body resurrected, but their spirit is right there before God the throne, and they're longing, they're saying, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? So here's... Some things that we can get from this. These who have died in Christ, not yet resurrection, they are still looking for something. They're not yet in a perfect state. A lot of times in our mind we think, okay, a person has died and they've gone to heaven. Not exactly. If you define heaven as Revelation 22 and 21 as this final state that God is going to give. It's happening, but their spirit is in God's presence. And according to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, they are interceding, they are longing, they are looking for heaven to be realized. Heaven being when body is resurrected with spirit in God's presence. Now, Some other verses that I think speak to this. When we look at Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. It's this interesting story. This interesting story where Jesus is referring to a rich man and a man by the name of Lazarus. And he describes what happens to them after they die. Now, a lot of times we read that and think, well, that's a parable. Are you sure? Are you sure that's a parable? Because it doesn't seem to fit the same qualifications of other parables. And in fact, it's the only, only story where Jesus gives a proper name. Lazarus. My thought is that it's not a parable. But Jesus is giving us some insight through two individuals, about what happens after death. Verse 19, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am anguished in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in an anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will he be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. When I read this story, it tells me that those who have died, who are apart from Christ, are immediately 
and punishment. Immediately in punishment. Now there's a lot to be gathered from this story, but you can at least glean that. And so when we talk about people dying, we are also talking about immediate judgment that comes upon sin. There is a final state of condemnation that we talked about in hell. But there is already an immediacy to the punishment. As well as you see in Lazarus an immediate reward of a degree. Not yet fully realized, but an immediate reward of a degree for him being in Christ. Now, there's a couple of... uh, ideas floating around. I want to talk about uh, these ideas. One is purgatory, and the other is what's called soul sleep. Now, soul sleep uh, is that condition that uh, some Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses and others believe, where that if you die, you just kind of lose consciousness. In effect, you are asleep until God returns through Jesus Christ. Um, and so that there's uh, some that believe that. And they get that from the scripture where the Bible often refers to people who are dead as sleeping. Uh, but when the Bible uses the terminology sleeping, it's just to describe how they look. In fact, in John chapter 11, it was becoming a point of confusion a little bit. And Jesus clarified. The disciples were talking about uh, Lazarus. Jesus said, well, Lazarus is asleep. And uh, the disciples were saying, well, if he's sleeping, Lord, we shouldn't wake him up. You know, he's sick. And Jesus is like, no, he's dead, all right? And so he's clarifying for us to help us understand that this idea of soul sleep is, is not really uh, what's uh, in question. In fact, you see in, in Scripture, uh, truth revealed and stories revealed that Jesus brings out quite the opposite. In fact, one of the examples is found uh, right uh, toward the end. Uh, when we see... Uh, the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. The thief on the cross, two thieves are on the cross with Jesus. One of them is cursing Jesus. The other one is defending Jesus and pleading and appealing to Jesus. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is what Jesus responded. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He did not suggest to him, in a most critical point, as he's dying, well, today you'll sleep. It's not at all what he's bringing. He's suggesting to him as a dying hope in Christ that there is something you're going to. There is a reality that you will be a part of with me this day. And so it speaks against this idea of soul sleep. As well, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, uh, Paul again is talking about his own future demise. He says, it is my eager and expectation to hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my death, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So again, he's echoing the same idea that he's given to us in 2 Corinthians 5, that if I'm going to be away from my body, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, where do we get this idea that when death comes, when your heart stops beating, your soul separates from your body? And an example of this is found with Stephen in Acts chapter 7. As he is dying... Being stoned to death, verse 55, he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. 
Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And so here's this acknowledgement of a spirit, his spirit being separated from his body at that moment. Sometimes people have asked me this question and I have not had an answer for it. When exactly does the spirit separate from the body? And in my study of scripture, here's my answer. Don't know. Have no clue. Um, here, in Stephen's example, by God's grace, he allowed him to have a vision of what was to come to enable him to endure what he was about to endure in the last moments of his life. So God can graciously allow someone to have a vision of things to come. As an example of Stephen, Paul himself gives testimony of that. Now, let me just warn you. There has been a lot of money exchanged for books written by children who have died, who said they've died, and had some vision of heaven. I have no idea how much money our country has uh, given uh, for these testimonies. And sometimes people will ask me, you know, did, do you believe they're true? Uh, 30 minutes after I die, or, you know, I, there's different titles for these things. Um, heaven is for real, I think that's another one. Uh, I have no idea if these things have really happened or not. But I'm not going to hold on to these accounts when I've got scripture given to me, Peter has, has made very clear, Peter in recounting Second Peter, his own experience with Mount Transfiguration, uh, seeing Jesus glorified with Moses uh, and Elijah, seeing that in person. He says, I witnessed this thing, but I have a more sure word, Scripture. So I'm just going to go with what Peter said. Man, I, I witnessed that transfiguration, but, but here's a more certain word, what you've got right here. And so, you know, these things are fascinating. They can be entertaining. Uh, they can be misleading. I just want to warn you about that. You've got Scripture. You don't need anything else with this. Can it happen? Yes, it can. God has granted it to people like Stephen, Paul, and others uh, when God deemed it necessary. So I'm not going to stand in the way and say, no, that didn't happen. But I'm just going to warn us, don't hold on to these things. Hold on to what Scripture has to say with this. Now, purgatory. Purgatory is a Catholic teaching uh, that, in, in essence, uh, uh, if you're not quite yet right to be with God, uh, there is kind of this, this holding area where your soul and spirit can get purified, uh, and it is helped uh, along with those who are still alive uh, by praying for them, or um, <laughs> selling indulgences, um, or certain good deeds that might be done, is a, uh, a teaching that's found in uh, the Catholic Church. The problem with this uh, is that it's really not in Scripture anywhere. There's not a foundational verse for this concept anywhere in Scripture. Uh, when asked about where this comes uh, from a Catholic, uh, one uh, might reference uh, a, a, re a text, 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verse 43. Now, 2 Maccabees, you're wondering, you know, now where is that, Pastor, in my Bible? You, you probably don't have that in your Bible unless you have a Catholic Bible, okay? Uh, this is an apocryphal book, and so the uh, Catholic uh, Bibles will include these apocryphal books, and so these are historical books that the early church or even the uh, Jews did not regard as part of the canon and the scriptures, but yet they are here, and so this is a reference in 2 Maccabees 12, verse 43, where there is this thought of someone making atonement for the dead that they might be absolved from their sins, and then uh, the Council of Florence in, uh, I think, 1483, uh, was where this doctrine of purgatory came. Now, you need to understand that for the Catholic religion, that the teachings of the Pope and the teaching of the 
early church fathers is as authoritative as the scripture. And so that you just need to know that and have an understanding why they would say no conflict. Well, I don't see in scripture. That's okay. I don't have to see in scripture. I see it in the Council of Florence and I see it in Second Maccabees. Uh, now, what I would bring to your attention with this idea is that it is counter to a very core doctrine that we believe that Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for our sins is sufficient and that alone is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. And so if we add into this element of, okay, maybe Jesus Christ and forgiveness of his sins was not sufficient for this person, I better keep praying for my aunt. Or I better give some money to help her along that is uh, undermining the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so it is counter to the very core of what we believe in Christ. Now, I've talked to you so far about the order of longings. The first order of longing, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, I long for God's return, Christ's return, where I can skip death and just be automatically translated into a new heavenly body. That's the first order. The second order is to say, okay, if I'm going to be away from this body, my longing is to be in the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. Uh, and then there's a, a third longing I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you. And he alludes to this. Because it doesn't really matter whether it's to be caught up with the Lord at his return, or whether I die or whether I keep on living, the third longing, and the longing that goes throughout all of these and makes the longing a longing, is a longing for the Holy Spirit. A longing for the Holy Spirit. You notice how his presence is intertwined here. You see in verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing, what prepared us? What what? That we might be swallowed up by life. What a wonderful way of describing death. To say that there will be a day and time where I'll be swallowed up by life. The one who's prepared us for that eternal translation, that heavenly translation. The one who's prepared us for having our bodies separated from us. Who is this one? He has prepared us for this very thing is God. How has he done that? He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. My ability to face death with hope and even with desire is directly related to my ability to surrender to the Holy Spirit. My joy in death is directly related to my joy in the Holy Spirit. I've come across those in the last 18 years of pastoring old just and I realized there are some when death comes knocking and the doctor starts calling him telling him uh, about their life or about surgeries that they have been in church for decades and yet in that moment I've seen with them the greatest amount of fear I've ever seen and I've seen an unconsolable grief that hits them and it occurs to me, oh dear church member, something is not right with your soul. I know you've been a member of this church all your life. And I know you come to church every Sunday. But when the moment is realized and you have death in front of you, there is a great gulf between what you're experiencing and what you have professed. As I preach this message, I've seen what that looks like. And I, my plea to you is that you have time now to prepare for death. And it's done by surrendering to the Holy Spirit and having joy in the Holy Spirit. When I talk about death, or anyone talks about death, if we spend our days watching TV for 30 hours that week and, and just looking at whatever on the internet, we are not prepared whatsoever for these longings. These longings are foreign to us. I'm speaking a different language altogether. 
Because our mind and our heart is being nurtured by the things of this world. And so when I talk about death, it just is a major collision course of reality. And sometimes you're thinking, you know, Pastor, you're talking about weird stuff. I mean, that's not reality. My reality is, is going to work, dealing with phone calls, dealing with the internet, dealing with the internet emails, or watching TV, uh, doing sports. That's my reality. <laughs> I would just bring to your attention that you're living in the fantasy bubble. Because death has a way of popping it. Death will pop it. And so I just plead, as Paul is saying, look, God's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing us for death. He's preparing us for a time when my body, the heart will stop beating, is deteriorating every groan, every week, every wrinkle, is letting me know, is wasting away. But there's a Holy Spirit calling me onward, onward, that I would grow with him. Dying is an incredible spiritual moment. And I'm going to tell you, when it comes, if it's like most people that die, you won't have energy. You won't have the mental capacity. You'll be just doing good just to open your eyes. The preparation is now of saying, Holy Spirit, you've been given to me as a guarantee of life to come. You, you want to prepare me for this? Okay, Lord, let me surrender to you because you can't prepare me if I'm resisting you. As we keep reading, there's some wonderful things and thoughts about those who've gone before us. Sometimes the question is asked, what are these people doing? The Bible doesn't describe a lot of this intermediate Role other than what we see in Revelation chapter 6 9 of this longing, this pleading. But there's some other good spots I'd like to bring to your attention. Hebrews chapter 12 is one. I think this is especially poignant on this, this morning. In Hebrews 12, verse 22, I preached this for uh, Jackie Hobbs. When she passed away, her funeral, those of you remember her. We've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in the festal gathering. You've come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You've come to God. You've come to the judge of all. You've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I read that, and I think, you know, are those who've died aware of what's going on here on earth? I cannot explain to you the detail. The Bible doesn't give to us the details of how much they know. But when I read this, it lets me know they are aware. And they're especially aware as we worship together. That we are coming to this Mount Zion. We're coming to this gathering of believers in Christ. And that we're joining in with something that's going on in the heavenly realm. And together we're longing for. And this is wonderful. We have the same longing. Whether it's my, my brother Phil Sheritz or Jason or these others who have gone before. Whether they're there and whether I'm here. We're longing for the same thing. Lord come back and let our bodies be reunited in spirit. So we can enjoy the presence of God and the way you intended it. And we join in in a unified course. And so when we come together as God says, as, God, as believers here in Christ, we're joining in with the heavenly thing that's going on. That's why this isn't just a time and place. This is an eternal thing that's joining us. And as we read the word of God, as we're singing, as we're thinking about Jesus Christ, as we're praying, we're joining in with the heavenly uh, course as well, a heavenly witness 
The same chapter, Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with an endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's just, church means something altogether different. When you look at it like that. Worshiping God. But I just want to share with you the order of our longings. Heavily translated. Lord return. Let me skip death altogether. Yes, sign me up for that. That's number one. And that was my granddad's goal. But that didn't happen for granddad. May not happen for you. May not happen for me. So the second one. Lord if my body has to decompose, let my spirit be with you. Let me join in with you in that heavenly room and let me join that course in Revelation 6 and say, how long, how long, how long, Lord, when will it happen? Longing for the Lord's return. And regardless of whether I have 60 years or six minutes, the same plea, my only hope, God, in life and death, is that it belong to you, body and soul, Holy Spirit, reign. It's my only hope. Holy Spirit, reign. The last paragraph of C.S. Lewis's series on the Chronicles of Narnia is in the, the book, The Last Battle. He says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it to now. Come further up. Come further in. Then as he spoke, referring to Aslan, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after they were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And then for us, this, the end of all the stories... We can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. For for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. And all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. So I might say to you, those of us who have lost loved ones, no, they're not in the final state of mankind and heaven, but I will assure you, their chapter they're in is better than the chapter they were in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, knowing that he was being sentenced to death, wrote in his journal before he was hanged, Oh God, this is the end. But for me, the beginning of eternal life. Is that your hope? Is that your future? It's wholly dependent on how you surrender to Christ now. There can be an eternal transaction that happens right now. We're going to go to God our Father in heaven in prayer. We'll do it by faith. Someday by sight. Do it by faith. If you'd like to join with me in faith and say, I want Christ. I want the Holy Spirit. I want his leading. Join me as we pray.